Thanks, Russell. I don't know if you have your scoring sheets. We're going to score how we read Illyricum. Um, it's been a week practicing that word. Nailed it. Nice job, Russell. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 14, the gospel. The theme of the book of the Romans, book of Romans is the gospel. The theme of the book of Romans is the gospel. Romans 1.16, for the power of God, for the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that's what the book of Romans does, is it spends its time telling us all about the gospel, uh, what it is and what it does and what we ought to do in regard to it. The gospel is a message. It's good news. As somebody once said, one author said this way, the gospel is not good advice, it is good news. And it shouldn't surprise us that God brings redemption by the power of a message, by the power of, word, of, of words. How did he create all that is? He spoke it into, the being, into being. So it, it really shouldn't surprise us too much that the power of redemption is through words, a message, a message of hope. The gospel tells us God created all that there is. God created everything, created the universe, the world, the stars, everything that is, including mankind, which he created in his own image. So the gospel tells us God made everything, including mankind. Mankind, though, rebelled against God. We decided for whatever reason we wanted all of God's things without actually having God who made them. And Romans 1 tells us all about that. We decided to worship literally anything except God, primarily ourselves, serving our own needs and our own fleshly appetites. So the gospel says God made everything, and then mankind rebelled against God. And not just mankind, but every individual person has rebelled against God. Every individual person, the Bible tells us, there is none righteous, no not, not even one. Every single person has rebelled against God and said, I would like to live on my own. I would like all of God's things without having to deal with God. I want to worship myself and not the creator. So we rebelled against God. The problem is with that, God is the source of life. He made everything. He is the one who is the source of life. So when you separate your relationship from God, you separate yourself from the source of life. So the Bible tells us the result of our rebellion is death, spiritual death immediately physical death eventually. If you want to argue about that, the statistics show 100% of people on planet earth die. That's all there is. I don't have, what what are my sources? I, I don't know. Just look around. So the result of our sin is separation from God, which separates us from him spiritually. We have no connection with God spiritually. And then because he is the source of life, eventually we will die physically. God then sends his son Jesus, God in the flesh, God as a man, to die on the cross. So the the good news is God himself comes and bears on himself, Jesus, on the cross, the punishment or the payment for what our sin required. He was buried and he rose from the dead. So what we understand from the good news of the gospel is Jesus has paid the price for our sin And through his resurrection, he gives us the ability to live forever. This is good news. For sinners who have separated themselves from God, we now have the avenue to be reconnected with God spiritually through forgiveness. And for uh, through the resurrection, we have life forever. So we get everything back that we had lost and then some. Not only are we restored to God in relationship, now we are called 
sons and daughters of the king. And so Christ comes, and he dies, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, and now we get to decide how we are going to respond. God creates, man rebels, Christ provides the redemption, and then we now have to respond. And everybody, everybody responds to the gospel. We've mentioned this before. 100% of the people who hear the gospel respond to it. You either believe it, or you reject it. But it cannot be not responded to. You say, well, I'm on the fence. Then you respond it. You either believe the gospel and experience life and forgiveness through Christ, or you reject the gospel and say, I'll figure it out on my own. And the Bible says that ends in death and judgment. So the good news of the gospel is Christ does all the work. We trust him. And the gospel then is the power of God for salvation. Our salvation is from God. We merely trust him that he is going to give it to us. So the question then is, if the, if the gospel is the power of God for salvation, what does the gospel do? And that's the answer that we're going to discover in our passage this morning. What is the work of the gospel that we have believed? Having believed in the gospel, what is the work of the gospel that we have believed in our lives? What are some things that we ought to be looking for in the work of the gospel? So we're going to look at two elements of this in this passage. Verses 14 through 16, the work of the gospel in our lives. And then verses 17 through 21, the work of the gospel in our world. I'd like to give you the outline at the beginning in case you want to catch a nap. And you can look, you take your notes, you look like you stayed awake through the whole thing. Work of the gospel in our lives. There's a high school student, middle of the winter, and the announcement came out that track tryouts were coming up for the spring. He looked at the tryouts, looked at the schedule, and he came to this realization. You know what? If I'm on the track team, whenever there's a track meet, I get out of school. So on Thursdays or Fridays or Mondays, whenever the track meet is, we get to load up into a bus, and instead of being cooped up in math and geometry class, are those the same? Geography class. I could be outside in the sun running around a little bit. That sounds like a good deal. So he goes out for the track team, tells the coach he's, done, he's dreamt about nothing his entire life other than running on the track team. So he's on the track. He's enjoying his springtime Friday afternoons out at the track meets, enjoying the sunshine. Finally, at midway through the, the track season, the coach comes up to him and says, I got to be honest with you, your effort is what I'd call subpar. You haven't necessarily improved in the events that you're competing in. In fact, I think you've actually gone backwards. And the student says to the coach, got to be honest with you, I have no interest in getting better at whatever we're doing. I want to be out in the sun. And this whole track thing gets me out of class with permission to hang out in the sun, hang out with my friends. So are you good with that? What's the coach going to say? No, I'm not good with that. Yes, certainly you get to hang out in the sun when you're at a track meet, but the point of being on the track team is not to just hang out in the sun and get out of class. The point is to pursue discipline and excellence in your particular field. Here's what we need to recognize about the gospel. The gospel brings more to our lives than the hope of heaven. The gospel gives us more than deliverance from judgment. Certainly those are good things, right? Heaven sounds good. Being delivered out of judgment into the glories of heaven, that sounds good, but it does more than that. In fact, the gospel is intended in our life to transform us to be like Jesus. 
that we might be offered to God as an acceptable offering. That the gospel is not merely a means to get into heaven or to avoid judgment. The gospel is a means for us in this life to experience transformation, to become more like Jesus. Look at verse 14 of chapter 15 again. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. The work of the gospel in our lives, a couple of important details in this verse, some specific outcomes of the gospel in the lives of the people Paul is writing to. Number one, goodness. What's goodness? Holiness. What's holiness? That sounds very spiritual. It's saying no to sin and saying yes to the good things God has called us to do. The power of the gospel gives us over the course of our life the the desire to be more like Jesus. And how much did Jesus sin? None. And so the gospel, the power of the gospel in our lives today is to lead us towards saying no to sin and saying yes to the good things God has called us to do. Now, the Apostle Paul is not a Pollyanna, naive person. He knows what real life is about. You can read Romans chapter 7 to see he knows exactly what the struggle of sin is like. So he's not expecting us this side of heaven to live as perfect people. But to pursue the gospel by faith faith with no interest in seeking goodness and holiness doesn't make any sense. To be saved from sin so that I can continue to sin doesn't make any sense. And one of the outcomes of the gospel in the life of the believer is a, a desire to, by the Holy Spirit, live a life of holiness, saying no to sin and saying yes to the good things God has done for us. Look what else he sees in the lives of these believers by the power of the gospel. They are filled with all knowledge. They're learning by the scripture and the, and the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of their pastors and teachers and leaders and looking at their own scriptures to those that would, would have had one. They're saying, we want to know about the work of God in the gospel from, his, from our scripture. We want to understand what is true about God and his work to redeem people from the Bible. They're filled with knowledge. Now, of course, we understand knowledge puffs up. This is knowledge, not knowledge for knowledge's sake. This is knowledge in order to understand the work of God in the gospel, the work of God to redeem sinners. This is reading your Bible and reading about the story of Joseph and understanding that Joseph is a great guy, sure. But what we see in Joseph is a guy who was saved from his murderers in order to save his murderers. That sounds like Jesus to me. We might read about David and Goliath and think, okay, now I've got to conquer big giants. No, I read David and Goliath and discover I have a savior who beats my enemies when I'm hiding in a cave. And that's the kind of savior I need. And this is what the Roman believers are doing. They're reading their Bibles, not merely to stuff knowledge into their head. They're reading their Bible and going, I see Jesus all over the place and it's awesome. And the gospel moves them to know all about the work of Christ, all, the, all about the work of redemption in their Bible. In fact, their knowledge was such that it says this, they were able to instruct one another, learning the gospel from each other. And this would have been critically important in the first century. Not everybody would have had a copy of the scripture. So somebody might have been on a trip somewhere and they said, hey, it happened to me. I was in Illyricum and I heard the apostle Paul speaking. And they might say, well, you've got to come over. I'm going to serve a meal. I'm going to invite over everybody else. And you've got to tell us what he said. And they would sit down and hear about, 
uh, what each other had to say about what the gospel was doing in their lives and what they had learned from the word of God. So some specific things we ought to be looking for in our lives. What does the gospel do for us today? It moves us by God's spirit to seek holiness. It moves us by God's spirit to know more about Christ and his word. It moves us by God's spirit to have an active role in learning more about the gospel and as well as sharing that with others. Teaching and training one another in the gospel. It's one of the things the gospel does for us. Look at verse 15. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the gospel of the grace of given to me by God. We'll stop there even though it's the middle of the sentence. Paul says here in the book of Romans, he's talked rather boldly about some things. I don't know if you've read the book of Romans, but one of the things I've noticed is there isn't a whole lot in there I'd call bold. I mean, there are some stuff in other books of the Bible I would call bold. In the Galatia, book of Galatians, what does he tell the legalists to do? Emasculate themselves. That's bold. That's, I'd put that on the, you know, relatively high in the bold meter. Romans is kind of like the, the milk toast of boldness is what I'd call it, you know. Not terribly. So what, what does he mean by what, This is what he's saying by boldness. He had the gall to tell him the gospel is some, not something you merely believe. It has real life implications. When the gospel is believed, it changes you. Romans chapter 12, he says, when the gospel is believed, you serve one another with your spiritual gift. That's what happens. That's kind of bold. Because there might be a few people in the Roman church, there might be a few people in the church today that says, but I'm not serving anybody with my gift. That's kind of bold because now, now you're rattled. And that's why he said it. He makes some other bold. He says, having believed the gospel, you submit to governing authorities. Having believed the gospel, you recognize there are believers who are weaker than you. And you want to pursue your life in Christ, not merely as a, to pursue Christian liberty, but also to have relationships of love and service to others who have different views of things than you do. What does he say in Romans chapter 8? Believe in the gospel means I have to say the, the suffering of this life is only tolerable because I'm going to glory. You say, wait, 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 I thought the gospel said this life was going to be awesome and then heaven was just going to be next level awesome. No. He says in Romans chapter 8, I don't consider the suffering of this world anything compared with the glories of heaven. The reason I can endure suffering today is because heaven is that awesome. It gets better later on in Romans chapter 8. He says, we are as sheep to be slaughtered. Wait a minute, this gospel sounds terrible. What do you mean we're sheep to be slaughtered? Don't worry about it. He says this about sheep who were slaughtered shortly thereafter. What does he say? In all these things we are more than conquerors. How could we be conquerors as slaughtered sheep? Because we don't die. The gospel tells us you can't kill Christians. You seem to be doubting me. You say, well, I know Christians who have died. No, you have no Christians who have moved to the next place. You can't kill Christians. The Bible tells me in Christ I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am raised with Christ. One day this body will be raised, but you can't kill Christians. So you can take Christians to slaughter all day long, get out the giant meat grinder. You can't kill them. You make a mess, that's just gross. Why would you say that? Because you're getting sleepy. This is bold. He expects us to live in Christian harmony. He expects us as believers in the Lord to get along 
even if the only way to get along is to not get my way. Let me rephrase. He expects us to get along, especially if getting along means I don't get my way. That's the boldness of the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? If the answer is yes, then you can look at every facet of your life and say, since I believe the gospel, why do I think that? Why do I think the world is ending? Why am I, why am I filled with so much concern about the things that aren't going my way? If I believe the gospel, why do I value these things? If I believe, since I believe the gospel, why do I spend all my time doing that? Since I believe the gospel, why is my attitude like this? The gospel informs us and should be a transformative power in our lives. That's pretty bold. That is pretty bold to say the gospel should give us a whole new way of looking at the world, whole new way of looking at others, whole new way of looking at the the church, whole new way of looking at my own life and what I value. Verse 16. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says he has a ministry to the Gentiles that they may be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, an offering to God, acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, the fancy, I mean, one simple way of understanding is holy, but let's break it down even a little bit further. Okay, are you ready? You don't seem ready, but we're going to do it anyway. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We need to understand in the book of Romans especially, but really throughout the Bible, salvation is much more, what, much larger than, much bigger than merely what we often think of as conversion. When you say God saved me, a lot of times many of us are thinking back to a, a rally we went to or a youth group camp we went to or uh, sitting in a, a five-day club that we went to and somebody said, do you need forgiveness? We said, yeah, I do. And we said, Jesus saved me and Jesus saved me. So we think of salvation as conversion or that moment where we receive the Lord by faith. And that is salvation. What the Bible calls that in Romans is justification, putting faith in Jesus. He forgives us for our sins and cleanses us from unrighteousness and now credits to us the righteousness of Jesus. That's justification. I put my faith in Christ. I now go from being dead in my sins to alive and as righteous as Jesus. If you're in Christ, how righteous are you? As righteous as Jesus. How righteous is Jesus? The whole way. All the way, as right as you can get. That's you. And that's, the, that's your spouse. Now we're doubting a little. Okay, come on. Stick with me. That's what the Bible says. In Christ, that's justification. Now another element of our salvation is glorification. It hasn't happened yet. How do you know it hasn't happened yet? Have you looked in the mirror? I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Glorification refers to that moment in our life when we go from here to there. We are raised in Christ, and the Bible says we will be like Christ. That means we will be glorified. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, if you saw one of your fellow men or women, the way they will look like then, you would likely fall down and worship them. So we have not yet 
experience glorification. But the Bible tells us that's a part of our salvation. We are justified. We are made righteous. And one day we will be glorified. And that's going to be a good day. Hasn't happened yet for us anyway, but that's going to be a good day, right? We hang our hat on that one. Good day. So what is this time? Also a part of our salvation, and we call it our sanctification. It's our least favorite part of the whole deal. We like the justification. Yay, I'm made righteous. I'm forgiven. We like glorification. Yay, I'm going to finally have abs. <laughs> I don't know what your thing is. And then you have sanctification, which is us in our sinful flesh being made more like Jesus. And what's the number one way in the Bible we are made more like Jesus in our flesh? Through suffering. Romans chapter 8. So sanctification is living saved in fallen flesh. Sanctification, living saved in fallen flesh, being transformed and renewed by the work of the Holy Spirit, being sanctified, set apart to be used by God and God alone. Holiness is not a, a fancy spiritual word. Holiness and sanctification merely means set apart for a particular use. I've used this illustration before. I'll repeat it because maybe it'll stick. I have a sanctified spatula. It's really, it's, it's about this long and it's really big and it's for grilling on the outside grill. The reason you have a big spatula for grilling on the outside grill is so while you are getting your meat, medium rare, your knuckles are not getting medium well. You want to have a good length. Now it's set apart for use on the outside grill. It can't be used on the inside pans. It's too big for most of those pans and would likely damage those pans. So it's set aside for one thing, outside use. So it's sanctified. So as Christians, we're saying we're sanctified, set apart for what? To be used by God and God alone, not to be used for our own pleasure. That's what sanctification is referring to. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 16 is as a minister of Jesus, bringing the gospel to the Roman believers, he wants to offer them to God as a ministry, having been sanctified, become more like Jesus. Becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we do is we do things by faith, trusting Jesus to make, trusting the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. You get up in the morning and you read your Bible. Or maybe you read it lunchtime or maybe you read it in the evening. I really don't care when you read it, although I would like you to read it. And you say, I read my Bible so I'll become more like Jesus. No. You read your Bible trusting the Holy Spirit will make you more like Jesus. Well, I get up in the morning and I pray that I might become more like Jesus. No, no, no. What happens is we pray trusting that when we do something by faith, God is going to use it to make us more like Jesus. So I say no to sin to become more like Jesus. No, 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 you don't get to make you look more like Jesus. You're terrible at it. The Holy Spirit, though, is very good at it. So what we do is we worship God with our lives and merely trust that the Holy Spirit is going to make us like Jesus. So I read my Bible and trust the Holy Spirit will make me like Jesus. So this is great. It takes all the pressure off. Have you ever read the Bible and said, I have no idea what that's talking about? Thankfully, your sanctification doesn't require you to get it. We pray that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes. We pray that the Holy Spirit would show us what his word is saying. But it's an action by faith. God, if I do this, I want your Holy Spirit to make me more like Jesus. And that's what sanctification is. 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit, being made more like Jesus. One little thing before we move on to the second section of this. If the gospel was just to get you to heaven, then why did God leave you here after you got saved? If the gospel was just to get you to heaven, then what God would do is once you got saved, he'd just take you home. And some of, you, some of us are going, sign me up, right? That's not what he does. That's not what he does. Why? Is it because he's mean? Is it because he's an ogre? He likes to make people feel bad? He wants us to really understand how bad we messed it up? No. Fundamentally, we have to understand something about sanctification. This part of our life is the shortest part of our life in Christ. Jesus described this part of our life as a mist. As a mist. This is the shortest part of it. You have almost no time. This is the only time you will ever have the opportunity to live by faith. And it's almost gone. I don't care how old you are. Once we're in heaven, we will never again have the opportunity to live by faith. We will live by sight. And we can't wait for it. Don't squander this opportunity to worship God in the fallen flesh by faith. Make me more like Jesus today. This is an opportunity that will soon be gone. And this is the only opportunity we have. And by his grace, God sought to glorify himself by saying, you know what? I want to see what will happen. I'm saying that facetiously. When fallen people trust me to make them like Jesus. He brings great glory to himself. And as it also turns out, we experience great reward. Don't let this opportunity pass you up. This is the only shot you have. And it goes by real quick. If you don't think it goes by real quick, you're not old. The older you get, the faster it goes. Have you noticed that? The older you get... I haven't noticed it because I'm so young. Okay, let's look at the second part of this. The work of the gospel in our world, one of the most important ways that the Holy Spirit makes us like Jesus is he sends us to a world that needs hope in Jesus. One of the ways the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, makes us like Jesus is he sends us into the world to bring the world the hope of Jesus. What did the Father do he sent the son so if you want to be like jesus certainly you say no to sin certainly we worship god certainly though at minimum it means if you want to be like jesus you are sent that's a fundamental element of what jesus did was to be sent by the father to bring redemption then jesus ascends into heaven and then what does he do with the holy spirit sends the holy spirit Fundamental element of living in the gospel is to live a life of sentness in our world. Think about water pipes for a minute. I know some of you don't spend a lot of your time thinking about water pipes unless one is broken or unless you're a plumber. So we're going to talk about the um, implications of being a water pipe. <laughs> Go with me on this. Give me a minute. You might, you might actually learn something. I don't know. The plumbers are going, you don't know what you're talking about. A pipe only works if it's connected to a water source. Stay with me, right? Slow down. Some of you are... It only works if it's connected to the source. But here's something you don't think about a pipe. A pipe only works if it is also a source. A pipe only works if it's connected to a source of water. It's got to get water from somewhere. Because a pipe doesn't produce water. It's an avenue of water. But it also is not doing being a pipe if it isn't providing water to something. What is a pipe... 
that is plugged up that is not providing water to anything. It's a reservoir and a lousy one. If you wanted a reservoir, you wouldn't make a giant pipe. You make a giant basin. For a water pipe to function as a water pipe, it has to be connected to a source and it has to provide water to something. Here's the other thing about a water pipe. If a water pipe wants the most water possible, what does it have to do? See how much it can get rid of. Because unless water is coming out of it, nothing's coming into it. Because once it stops, there's nothing coming in. That's, that's the only one, what it means to be a water pipe. The gospel in us compels us to fulfill the work of God that God has given each of us in the world around us. That is a holy ambition to finish the work of God in this world. That's, that's what it means to be transformed by the gospel, is to have a, a holy ambition to finish the job that God is doing in this world and the job that God has given to each one of us. Jesus working in and through each of us. Look at what he says in verse 17. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work of God. Doesn't that sound weird? The Apostle Paul's saying, I'm kind of proud of the work of God. So this is not a big deal. What he's saying is, I want to have a, a sense that I have been faithful by God's grace to the ministry God has given me, a sense of, of satisfaction of doing the work of God with faithfulness. Paul here was not proud of himself. He was proud of the work God was doing through him by the power of the Holy Spirit. What are some things that made him uh, excited about the work God was doing? He saw ministry fruit in the lives of the believers. What do he say about them? I see you pursuing holiness. I see you pursuing the knowledge of the gospel and the scripture. I see you pursuing teaching one another in the gospel. And this was ministry fruit that he saw. He said, man, that is great that God is doing this. What was the other thing that he saw that really encouraged him? This ministry was happening among Gentiles. And many of his Jewish friends would be really bothered by this. That Gentiles were coming to faith in God by the gospel, having access to God without offering sacrifices, without going to the temple, without getting circumcised, without taking the Sabbath day off, eating all kinds of strange foods like shrimp, catfish. Well, that's strange anywhere. I don't, I don't understand the catfish thing. Bacon? How can you eat bacon and, and know God? And we all say, how, how, can you, how can you know God and not eat, not eat bacon? I mean, when it comes right down to it, that's one of the signs that there is a good creator. What he saw was the, the ministry fruit. Now, was the ministry fruit that he beheld the result of his skill? Was it the result of his intelligence? Was it? No. Now, Paul was skillful. Paul was intelligent. But what happened was the Holy Spirit did the work. He sought to do the work of God, and he saw ministry fruit. And he said, I am excited to see what God is doing in your lives by the power of the gospel, especially among those people that most would have already written off religiously. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. This was not sinful pride. It was him being excited about seeing the work of Christ being accomplished in the lives of the people around him. It was a, a great delight to the Apostle Paul to be a part of the work of God through real effort, but also recognizing the, the supernatural work of the heart is done by the Holy Spirit. What are the kinds of things the Apostle Paul did? He preached. He served. He sacrificed. He suffered. 
I did all of this, and look what Jesus did with that. What he said is, I did all of this stuff, but it didn't really generate anything. Jesus took the effort I put into it, and he did a miraculous work in the heart of individuals. What he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, is he brought about the obedience of faith. He served, and the Romans had the obedience of faith, meaning once they knew what God was up to, they said, I'm going to obey God and trust him and put my faith in him. I think Romans 5 is up on, on the screen. Let's continue on to verse 19. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to, I don't know, Russ, I, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul's work was clearly defined. He understood what his mission was. He wanted to share the gospel all over the Gentile world. And some of us are saying, well, how do I know what, God, what, what I'm supposed to do? Maybe, uh, I hope you're asking that question. Paul seemed fairly clear on what his vision was. What does God want me to do? Look at Romans 12 too. Might be up on the screen, might not be, I can't remember. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you wanted to know the will of God? No problem. Here's the roadmap to know exactly what God has called you to do. Are you ready? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I like sinning. Going to have to set that aside. But I'm not good at not sinning. You're going to have to trust Jesus to help you get better at not sinning. And by testing that you may discern what the will of God is. How do you know what God has called you to do? By testing. You say, well, I don't know if I'm called to volunteer with Kylie Joe in the nursery. She didn't pay for this product placement in the message. <laughs> Here's how you do it. So well, I don't know what I'm called to do. So give something a shot. Okay, I'll, I'll volunteer. Kids don't. I'll volunteer with Todd in the youth ministry or I'll volunteer U715. I'll volunteer somewhere. I'm going to give something a shot. So you go for it. What's going to likely happen? You're going to be terrible. And then you're going to go home all discouraged. Oh, woe is me. I'm lousy. God's not working in me. And this is the Kermit the Frog. I don't know if you remember that. He's running around with his hands over his head. God has abandoned me. He doesn't love me. I'm lousy. No, they say, okay, I'm not gifted in that area. Anybody ever done something you're not gifted in? I hope so, because it takes testing. And then you say, well, you know what? This isn't, I don't think God's called me to this. So I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try this. And then one day, by God's grace, all of a sudden you go, oh, oh I see something going on here. It's hard. It's still suffering. It's still work. It's still sacrifice. It's still costly. But all of a sudden, I'm seeing fruit of the ministry I can't explain. And that's what you're looking for. So seeking to be transformed, to be like Jesus, setting my heart and my mind away from sin and into the good things of God, and then by testing, seeking to discern the will of God. And this is the way you you determine what the will of God is. Some of us are sitting at home with the lights out and our Bible's open saying, God, hit me with your, your holy uh, whatever it is and quiver in my liver to show me what you want to do with my life. And God's saying, get up, go do something. I'll let you know if I'm there with you or not. I can tell some of you are very dissatisfied that you, you like the quiver in your liver situation a little better. Get up, get busy, see what God does. Well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. A lot of biblical things don't. Get up, know your Bible, get busy, 
See what God's done. So Paul had been doing this, and his work was, was clearly defined. Now pay attention. Just because Paul was within the ministry that God had called, to, called him to do, this was not easy stuff. You can read in several places what it looked like for him to serve in the ministry of God. He said, uh, you know, he was shipwrecked a few times. He didn't have clothes all the time. He didn't always have a place to sleep. Sometimes he had to go without food. And now we haven't even talked about the people he works with. John Mark abandoning him in the middle of a trip. One guy at the end of one book, I think it's Demetrius, he said, oh, this guy's awesome, yay. And at the end of 2 Timothy, I hope that guy burns in, well, the burning place. Yeah, I mean, this is what he's dealing with. He's, he's dealing with real people and real problems. Well, I thought when you found out what the will of God was, it was like skipping through the tulips. It's not. But we get to, we get to enjoy uh, the, the deep satisfaction that comes with seeing the ministry of God done in and through us by his grace. And that was Paul is talking about. He had clearly defined, clearly discerned the will of God. He was going to travel around and reach unreached places to establish gospel outlets, places for the gospel to be heard and preached so that everyone might understand the good news of the gospel. Paul did not see himself as the one supplying the power. He saw himself as putting in the infrastructure. You might see it this way. He, he was a lineman for the gospel. What's a lineman? When a storm comes in, the power lines come down. The lineman goes out and gets the power lines back up. Does he put power in those power lines? No. His job is to get the lines up. And then the Holy Spirit provides power to the power lines. That's why your toaster makes such good toast. No, the, the generation of the power comes from another thing. The lineman's job is just to put together, say, I'm going to serve faithfully in this area, and it's someone else's job to supply the power. That's the Apostle Paul's ministry of the gospel. It's my job to proclaim the gospel. It's my job to teach. It's my job to be bold. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do with that what he wants to do with that. Because it's the Holy Spirit's job to put the power in, not Paul's job. All right, let's look at the last couple of verses, Romans 15, 20, and 21. <clears throat> Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. I love that ambition. Some of us didn't know ambition was in the Bible. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but like it's written, and this is from Isaiah, those who had never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is gospel ambition. Moved by calling, empowered by the Spirit, clarity of God's will, what's the job? I mean, so many of us have sat down maybe early in life and penciled out where we want to go with our college, maybe penciled out where we want to go with our career, maybe penciled out where we want to go with our family. We've thought through, what are my hopes and my dreams? How many of us have sat down and penciled out what our ambition is for the gospel? What's my ambition? That by the end of this year, I want to do this for God by His grace or by the end of this decade, or by the end of this life. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. I only get so many years, and this is the only thing that pays off for eternity, and he was ambitious, moved by God to be profitable for the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, puts us, helps us recognize the right place. What then is Apollos? Who was Apollos? Apollos was, man, he was good looking. He always dressed real nice. And this guy could speak. I tell you, if this guy got up and read the phone book, you guys would not be doing what you're doing now. You'd be like, oh, okay, he's almost up to the bees. 
And some of the kids are going, what's a phone book? <laughs> right? I'm looking at it. What's a phone book? You have, you have to look stuff up in a, in a book? Yeah, they bring it by, they put it on your porch, you step out, you slip on it. <laughs> Who's Apollos, this good speaker? Who is Paul? They are servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I, that is Paul, planted the seed. Apollos came in, waters the seed. Who gives the growth? God gives the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. We have the ambition of being used by God for his work. What's fantastic about this is it doesn't rely on this. It relies completely on God. What's also fantastic on this, God lets us be a part of it only by his grace. He says, you can be a part of the greatest work that's ever been done in the history of the universe, redemption to the world. Where are our ambitions? I think for most of us, gospel ambition doesn't make the top 10. All right, three things, and then we'll have the worship team come up with the clothing song. Clothing song. Closing song. Someone, I, I can't remember, what, I remember this from high school, so I can't remember if I heard it at camp or youth group or what, but somebody said this about the spiritual life, compared it to these things. And maybe you've heard this before, um, that... Learning from the Bible is like eating. We can compare that to eating for the physical body. Anybody heard this before? This might be a review. That uh, prayer is like breathing. So if you're going to live a spiritual life, you have a physical life, you've got to eat and you've got to breathe from what I understand. And so if you want to live a spiritual life, you've got you to eat, meaning you've got to know your word and you've got to breathe, meaning you, you, you need to prayer. And then service, serving the Lord in gospel ministry is exercise. So you've got eating, consume the food, you've got breathing, that's important, and then you've got service, which is exercise. I like this example because what this speaker said, I can't, again, I can't remember who it was, he says, sometimes in our Christian life we get sort of this like, ugh, ugh. That's a spiritual description, ugh. And it may be kind of like our physical life. We do a whole lot of eating, a whole lot of breathing, and not a whole lot of exercise, and we wonder why we feel that. So we, so we listen to another podcast, because we feel like, uh, listen to another podcast, turn on another Christian radio station, download another Christian playlist, and uh, try another church. I don't know whatever. You know, read another devotional, get another book from Evangel, and, and we're just taking in and in and in, and we're like, I don't feel, I don't feel like anything's happening, because nothing's happening. And then maybe you're like many of us say, well, I'm not, I'm not fit to serve God yet. I don't know enough. I don't have anything to offer. So the question is, do you have the Holy Spirit in you? Yeah? You're good. Dial in. What else could... <laughs> this is funny. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I need to learn a couple of theology points. And the Holy Spirit says, I pretty much have that dialed in. Let's get to work. And then some of us say, well, what if I go out and try something and I volunteer and I fail? I want to put your minds at ease. You totally will. Like totally. No, there's no question. I love the, I love the prophet. I can't remember if it's Ezekiel or Isaiah or both. God says, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to go preach to my people. I'm like, oh, okay. As, oh, by the way, nobody's going to listen. I'm sorry, what? What, what if I take the offering? There's no offering. No, there's no You're probably going to die. But, but that's failure. No, it's not. So 
many of us have been eating a long, long time. And it's time to get up and get after it. Say, what does God want me to do? I don't know. Try something, see what happens. Try something, see what happens. Okay, next question. You're like, man, that was annoying enough. They get worse as we go. Let's do a little inventory. Over the last year, how has the Holy Spirit made you more like Jesus? Think about this time last year. How are you more like Jesus today? And if you're like most, many of us, I have no idea. First of all, in Christ, I'll tell you what. Guess what? You are. But here's another thing maybe we could do as a, as a part of our holy ambition is, is instead of just sitting back and, and hoping and dreaming, start saying, you know what? A year from now, I'm going to be less anxious. A, a year from now, I want to not be as angry as I am. A year from now, I don't want to be so wrapped up in money. A year from now, I want to have a heart of of generosity, not a heart of selfishness. A year from now, I don't know what it might be for you. Have you ever done that? You say, well, what if God doesn't do it? Well, that's his thing. But a holy ambition says, what does my life look like if a year from today I look more like Jesus? Do you think think God is going to honor your desire, your ambition to look more like Jesus a year from now? Absolutely. So why not sit down and pencil it out? So you know what? And just pick a couple of, Lord, here's an area. I'd like this particular area. I'd like my devotion to your word, devotion to prayer, love expressed to my family or my community to be more like Jesus a year from now. Wrap it up a piece of paper, stick it in the envelope and open it in a year and see what happens. Can the Holy Spirit change you? Yes, he has been. But maybe it's time to be intentional about it and say, God, I want to, I want to see you do a work in my life. Last one is this. When we think about our ambitions and our dreams, and we ought to have ambitions and dreams in many different areas, but one of the things we should reflect on from this passage is how much of our ambitions and our dreams are fundamentally a ministry of the gospel in some way. I'm not saying you have to abandon all the other things you're pursuing in your life because those things are also acts of worship to God who has provided But is my highest ambition, my greatest rewarding activity coming from the ministry of the gospel or from other things? And there might be a place for us to reflect and say, God, I want to have an ambition for the gospel in my community and my own heart the way Paul did, knowing the time is short. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the grace you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you for the kindness you have shown us that you have decided for your own purposes to do the work of the ministry of the gospel in our world through people like us, imperfect, still figuring it out, struggling with sin. And God, we are grateful for your faithfulness to it. God, I would pray first and foremost in this moment and in this time for those who are here right now who don't know you. God, the burden of sin and shame and regret is unbearable. It will drive us into the ground. I would pray right now that those of us who don't know you in this moment would trust Jesus for forgiveness. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, also though, I pray for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a while. And at some point, our relationship with you 
got onto the back burner and then isn't even in the top 10 things we think about on a daily basis. God, would you once again, by the power of your spirit, reignite in us that holy ambition to see the gospel take root in our own heart and to pass the goodness of the gospel on to the people around us. God, we would pray that in this particular place, we would see many come to know you because of the ministry of the gospel through the people of this church. God, we pray that you would be glorified as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up as we close with a song?